Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We're so excited that you are here with us this morning. Our lead pastor, Shay Prisk, is away. I know I look kind of like him, but I'm not him, so sorry to disappoint. But he is down at one of our uh, supporting churches, Mile City. In fact, we probably wouldn't exist if it weren't for churches like Mile City giving to us. And that's where Shay uh, first had the dream of planning the church Grumlaw. So we're excited that we could lend him uh, to Mile City for the morning. And so you have me. My name is Melissa Miller, and I am the Connect Group Director here. And so we are in our third series, our third week of our series, Relational Vampires, where we're talking about how do we love the people who suck the life out of us. And if I'm completely honest with you, I was not super excited about this series when I first heard about it, because I just saw the title and I thought, for real, are we gonna do something about Halloween? This is a church, I have little conservative views and I'm like, I don't like Halloween and I'm sorry for those of you who love it and for my children who absolutely love it, thanks to my husband who came to the rescue because I didn't even let my kids trick or treat and then he was like, that's stupid, we're going kids! Then out the door they went and now they love it and they get lots of candy and cavities as well. But anyways, so I wasn't super excited about this series until I dove into the content and what I very, very quickly came to realize was this, is that loving people is central to following Jesus. And let's be honest, difficult people are hard to love. The people who suck the life out of us are hard to love. So I think that I was a little bit arrogant in not liking the, the series. I just you know, based on the title, I made a jump decision and loving people is central to following Jesus. In fact, Jesus said himself, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Huh. My love proves to the world that I follow Jesus. And so I don't know about you, but that makes me sit up a little bit straighter and take the words of Jesus a little more serious and think, huh, if the way that I love other people reflects how you love them and how I love you, am I doing a good job? Am I loving difficult people or am I just loving the people who are really easy to love? Because let's be honest, it's really easy to love the people who are easy to love. But the people that are controlling, like we talked about in week one, last week we talked about critical people. That one was ouchy. I'm like, ooh, I'm a kind of a critical jerk. I'm really glad I'm sitting here right now listening to Shay preach. This week we're going to talk about needy people. And next week, and perhaps the most challenging, would be hypocritical people. And you know, it's difficult to love, but if we call ourselves Jesus followers, if I call myself a Jesus follower, Jesus said that the way that I love people is proof that I follow him. So I'm like, ooh, I really need this series. For those of you who are not yet Jesus followers, let me assure you of this, that no matter where you are in your faith journey, some of you, every single week, we have brand new people walking through the doors. And that is amazing to us, and we never take that for granted. And we are so glad. If that's you, and you, this is your first time here, let me just say welcome. We are so glad that you decided to come through these doors. We know that it takes courage to walk into a new place. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. You saw a billboard or a Facebook ad or maybe even just a yard sign and said, hey, I'll check this out. 
I wanna say that this series is for you too. Because the truth is, is that everyone has difficult people in their lives. And most of the time, these difficult people are not people that we can just write off, right? There's no like staples easy button. You're like, oh, I'm out, see you later. Hope that you do really well. Hope that need gets met, right? There isn't one, especially if you're a Jesus follower. We're commanded to love other people. And so these difficult people, a lot of times, are, are maybe our spouses, our children, our parents, our coworkers, our bosses, and no one Jesus follower or not wants to live their life in constant strife with other people. So what we're going to do and what we've been doing in this series is we're taking wisdom from Jesus, who we believe that whether or not you follow him yet, if you follow his teachings and his wisdom that your life will be better and you will be better at life. So we're taking wisdom from Jesus, from the Bible. We're learning strategies that we can hopefully then apply to our lives so that we can love. Now, now notice the word. It's not deal with people better, put up with people better, but how is it that we could actually love people that are difficult to love, those people who suck the life out of us? Now, we're saying us because, of course, we have never, I have never been critical, never been difficult. I've never been uh, controlling. I've definitely never been needy. So this is, this is one of those, like, other people series, you know, like we put our blinders on and we only look forward during this series. We don't, like, elbow or look around because we know that we're perfect and it's really the people next to us. And so while we're on the topic of the people next to us, today we're going to talk about overly needy people, which has never been me. I just want to let you know that. So overly needy people tend to be people that we care about, but who always need a little bit extra. Now, one of my uh, greatest joys in life is embarrassing my teenage children. It's just one of those things that you become a mom for, so one day you can embarrass them. And my favorite way to embarrass them is to ask, like, especially around here, all the younger people in church, I'm like, teach me some new words, right? So I can just throw out some lingo, you know, when we're driving to school. And one of the words I learned not that recently ago, but I know for those of you who are younger, this word is old, but for me, you just, just put up with me for a moment, I learned the word extra. Now, if you are in my age category or a little bit above, I'm going to tell you what extra means. Extra is not necessarily good. Like if you said she's a little extra, it means that maybe she's a little needy or over the top or too much, right? And so watch me throw this out. My kids are never going to come back to church ever again, okay? Needy people can be a little extra, I know. Thank you. No one laughed last service. I was like, come on, people. I worked really hard on that. I'm a cool 40-year-old, okay? All right. So my kids literally are never going to show their face in this church again. All right. So needy people are those people who always need a little extra help, a little extra time, a little extra attention, the ones who you may try to avoid in the hallway because the conversation with them takes a little longer. It tends to be negative. It tends to be strewn with drama. They're always the victim, right? It's the friend who's always a little short on cash, um, always late with endless excuses. Uh, it's the relative who lives all alone and subtly or not so subtly tries to guilt you into visiting more often. Um, a needy person's that person who, no matter what you do for them, 
It just never seems to be enough. There isn't enough money, there isn't enough time or attention that you can give them that seems to satisfy their desires or their expectations. So today, we're gonna ask the question, how do we love and care for needy people? How do we love those people who need extra attention, who always need extra help? Because most of us truly want to help these people. Not just Jesus followers, I think people in general, we want to help people who are in need. And it can be complicated. So I'm gonna share three strategies with you this morning that are gonna help us answer this question. How do we love people in a way that honors God and at the end of the day, it helps them? How do we love people in a way that honors God and helps them? Well, the first way we do this is we do this. We give strategically, we give strategically. Many times when we're faced with the needs of others, we respond emotionally. Just turn on your TV and you'll see any commercial that asks for money, right? You see the poor little children with distended bellies. You see the animals starving in dog crates, right? They have some element that pulls on your heartstring because they're trying to, you, to get you to give to some need. And it's hard not to respond emotionally when we see those needs. But the problem with allowing our emotions to dictate the help we give is that it's usually self-focused. We give to make ourselves feel better. We give to relieve the sadness or maybe the guilt that we feel. But rarely when we respond emotionally is the focus actually on the person who needs help. So the key to loving in a way that honors God and truly helps other people is to give strategically. I'm gonna demonstrate with this story. There were two men who were followers of Jesus while he walked on this earth. They happened to be two of Jesus's closest friends and also two of the most influential men in spreading the gospel, which is just the good news of who Jesus was, of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. These two men were responsible for immediately going out and telling other people about what they had seen. They had seen Jesus in the flesh. They had walked with him, they had talked with him, they saw miracles, they saw him die on a cross, they saw him placed in a tomb, and then they ate breakfast with him on the beach after he had rose from the dead. So these men, there was nothing stopping them from telling people about what they had seen and the life change that they had experienced. And so many times when they would go, on their go into the town, they would find people who were in need. And this one day, they find this man, man who is a crippled beggar. And we find this story in the book of Acts. And Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, the New Testament being the second half of the Bible that documents the life, the birth, or the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and then the rise of the early church. And so when we come to the book of Acts, we find all about how the news spread from the time of Jesus' resurrection and then how the church came about. It's very fascinating reading. And very good history. I highly recommend you read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. We have free Bibles in the back. Always welcome. It's one of our best days when someone takes all those Bibles and we have to order more. So take it and start reading. If you've never read the Bible, start in the book of Acts. Um, but so we're going to pick up this story um, as Peter and John are approaching the temple. And it says this, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And pick up with me here, it says, when he saw Peter and John, the man who was begging, about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. 
But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And something amazing happens. It says that Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. The man wanted money, but Peter and John were very wise because what they saw was not, and how they responded was not emotionally. They saw beyond what just the man wanted. He wanted money. But what Peter and John saw is what they really, what he needed, right? Because money would only last you so long. And then once the money's gone, you have to go back and beg people to carry you to this gate so you could just beg day after day after day. Peter said, I, I don't have any money for you. But what I do have for you is healing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so Peter reaches down and grabs the man's hand and pulls him up and in the name of Jesus restores his health. This man will no longer need to beg. This man will no longer need to rely on other people. He can now go get a job for himself. Peter and John could have so easily just responded emotionally. They could have just said, you know what, here you go, just take a few coins, and then, you know, we're really busy, we've got really important stuff to tell people, I mean, we gotta tell people about Jesus. So, like, we gotta go, here you go, have, you know, have a great day, I hope that someone else gives you some more money later. But that would be an emotional response, and one that was focused on Peter and John. And so many times, this is how we react to people in our life who have needs. We throw them something quick, and we just really, really hope that it'll be enough. Like, I'll just come visit you once. I'll give you a phone call. You know, I'll donate a code up to Franklin Avenue, and I just hope that that will be enough. But that's not strategic giving. That's emotional giving. It's one that would just assage. It's giving to just assage our conscience and not really what will help bring healing to the person. So Peter and John gave this man a hand up. Give me your hand. I'm going to help you up. Giving strategically is not just giving people what they want, but having the wisdom to know what they need. If your friend or your family member or your kid comes to you and you're like, hey, I need money for my car payment, I need money for my phone payment, I need money for such and such, and you know that they just went out and bought the new iPhone 5,000, because wait, 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 let me tell you why you need it. It has three cameras. I mean... Did you, did you hear? Wait, it has, wait, did, I, it has three cameras. I don't know what the cameras do, but I need it because I'm going to be a professional photographer. So you know they just spent $1,500 on a phone, but they need money for their bills. Well, to give them money for their bills, like if that's my kid, that's not helpful to them. In fact, it's actually harming my child to not have natural consequences sit in and learn what irresponsibility leads to. But how do we do it? I mean, honestly, how do we love in a way that honors God and helps them? How do we give? How do we give strategically? And I have to be totally honest with you, it's really hard to know without God's wisdom and guidance. It's hard to know what the right move is. It's hard to know when to give money, when to give extra time, when to step in. And when I'm faced with a situation like that, I just pray. I mean, in prayer, is just sharing honest feelings with God. And I just say, God, I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't want to do nothing. 
and look unloving, but I also don't want to do something that would be harming someone. I mean, I make decisions like that. My husband and I do all the time in parenting, right? I want to make the right decision. And so many times I want to do everything for my kids because I want to spare them pain and I want to, you know, spare them from the consequences that really are good for them sometimes. But that's not giving strategically. That's giving emotionally. I have to say, God, show me how to meet the needs of this person. Show me how to be more kind to my boss. Show me, God, how to meet the needs of my mom when I can't do that. And many times the help that I feel directed is not a swoop in and help. In fact, actually, when I feel that how I'm going to help someone is to swoop in and fix everything, that should send off red flags in my mind immediately that says you're trying to respond emotionally. You want to fix that. I'm really good at trying to fix people. I'm like, I got 10 books you can read. And I've got my counselor's phone number. And I just, you can just do one, two, three, four, five, and man, you'll be better. But that's me. I'm trying to fix the, what I feel. I'm not trying to help them. So most of the time, what it looks like to help someone strategically is just to walk alongside of them. To simply say, you know what, I am really sorry for what you're going through. And I am really sorry that you're hurting. But let me just walk beside you till you figure this out. Let me just point you to Jesus. Because really, he is the only one who can fill every need, every longing, and every desire. He's the only one who can heal past hurts, broken hearts, and broken relationships. And really, aren't people who are needy, aren't they just hurting? They're just people who are hurting. So to love those who are needy, to love them well in a way that honors God, in a way that really helps them, we have to give strategically. And the second thing we have to do is we have to serve wisely. I just finished this amazing book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I saw the title and I was like, I need to read this book. Um, it was written by a pastor um, who is out in Portland, Oregon. And he, tells a, the, and he starts the book with a brutal brutal truth of how he almost destroyed his life. He was running a mega church out there. He was past, like giving six messages every day. I mean, he was working like 60, 70, 80 hours of work. And he talks about how he literally almost ruined his marriage, ruined his family, and how he, he's like, I could have led the church astray as well. He said, I was not living in a way that I knew that I was supposed to live. And he hit absolute rock bottom. And out of that came a, an incredible book um, that uh, I highly recommend reading. Um, and what turned his life around was taking Jesus seriously. He said, I had to take Jesus seriously. I had to take his invitation to an unhurried, intentional life. And I wanted to read a, uh, just a little bit of what he wrote. He said, the reality is I want that life, an unhurried life, but I'm not willing to adopt the lifestyle behind it. And I think that's how a lot of us feel about Jesus. We read the stories of Jesus, his joy, his resolute peace through uncertainty, his non-anxious presence, how relaxed and in the moment he was, and I think, I want that life. We hear of his open invite to life and life to the full and think, yeah, sign me up for that. We hear about his easy yoke and his soul deep rest and think, gosh, heck yes, I need that. But then we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle. Jesus always had time for people and people 
always wanted something from him. And I mean, they always wanted something from him. They most of the time didn't even want him. He would give him, he would give, Jesus would give the people healing and then they would walk away and they wouldn't even come back to say thank you. He didn't receive most of the glory or any of the praise for what he was doing. There wasn't much appreciation for him, yet he always had time for people. He always had compassion and empathy. And I wondered, how is that? Because he was fully human while he was here on earth. He had a physical body with energy limitations just like you and me. How was he always able to serve selfishly, love authentically, give generously, teach faithfully, and listen compassionately? It's because he served wisely. Jesus always gave from a soul that was full. He had a regular rhythm, and his regular rhythm looked like this. And I just pulled out different excerpts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are gospels which record his life. Mark tells us that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Luke, despite Jesus' plea that his miracles be kept a secret, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to a lake. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was still there alone. Jesus knew that his power rested in God alone and that in order to give to those in need, he needed to fill himself up with the wisdom and the presence of God. And if Jesus, the son of God, who was fully God and fully man, needed to spend time with God, how much more so do we? So can I ask you an honest question? Are you exhausted if you saw this book, would you be like, I need to read this? Are you tired of the hurry and the rush and the faster, 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 go, go, go? Because the truth is, when we have people who come to us with needs, if we have no margin, we can't even help ourselves. There's no way we can meet their needs. If you're exhausted, I hear you. Better yet, God sees you. And the invitation that the author of this book took to slow down and sit with Jesus and learn from him, it's your invitation too. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? We have something here called the Grumlaw 7. Um, if you've been coming here for a while, they're the ba banners you completely ignore as you walk down the hallway. But we do have them out for a reason. And we believe, like if your answer was, yes, man, I am tired, and yes, I need to sit with Jesus, your next step is along these lines. We have weekends, which means just showing up here on a consistent basis. I think the average person goes to church maybe like, the average churchgoer goes to church maybe once a month. So just showing up on a consistent basis so you can be loved on by people, so that you can be filled up, so that you're not so empty. Baptism, daily encounter. This one I think is one of the most important of all of the Grumlaw Seven because this is just spending quiet time with Jesus. Like I said, the Bibles are in the back. Grab a Bible. Sit down with Jesus. Start in the Gospels. Start in Acts and just begin to read. 
just begin to pray. Just sharing, God, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know that I know who you are. I don't even know if I've got this all figured out, but I'd like to try. Just speaking to God and watch him show up. Generosity, giving, groups. Groups is another really important one because it's a place where you can come in and just be loved by people, where you can be exactly who you are. You don't have to hide a thing. Serving, it's another great thing of being on a team with other people who have a common goal and then sharing your faith. Some of us, gosh, you're like, I've been a Jesus follower for a really long time and I can't even begin to tell you the last time I shared my faith with someone because I'm so busy and I'm so focused. How could I possibly help anyone else? We cannot serve others wisely if we're not spending intentional time with the one who meets our needs completely. All right, so how do we love people in a way that honors God and helps people? The last way is this, is we trust completely. We trust completely. We help the way God leads us and then trust God with the rest. Helping overly needy people can be complicated, and many times we want to place ourselves in the place of God thinking that the other person's success rests upon us, that it rests on our help, but it's unwise for you, it is unwise for me to think that I'm someone else's answer because Jesus is the answer. We're just the delivery system. So we help in the ways in which we feel led and then we leave the rest up to God. Um, I get this question often. Um, I get it from my kids and then from other people that I'm around. They say, what do you do, let's say, when you see somebody on the side of the road? You see them with the sign that says a veteran or you see them and say, I have kids, I need money. What do you do? And I always give them this same answer. I say, I do whatever God asks me to do. When I see the need, I ask God and then I respond. And they're like, well, how in the world do you know what God asks you to do. And for me, it's just this. It's a strong, firm impression. I don't ever hear God's voice audibly, but I feel that strong, firm impression. And that comes from sitting with him. It comes from that daily encounter. I learn to listen to the voice of God. I read scripture, and so I know him, and then I know when he asks me to do something, especially if it lines up with something in the character of God. So it wasn't that long ago on the corner of Owen Road and Silver Lake, which is odd because you don't typically see people with signs there. I saw a guy with a sign and it said, I have a job. I just need gas money until I get paid on Friday. And it was like Tuesday or Wednesday. It was just one of those situations. Like, what am I going to do when I see the need? And I knew that God wanted me to give him money. And again, it's not an audible voice. It was just that strong, firm impression. So I wrote down my window. I gave him money and I went on my way. Never thought about it. Well, it was like the next day or maybe the day after I saw the guy again, he had the same sign. Now, I didn't just give him five bucks. So I'm thinking, huh, unless you work really far away, I'm pretty sure I gave you enough money based on, you know, how much gas costs for you to get to work all the way to Friday. But do you know what? It does not matter. It does not matter what that guy did with that money. It doesn't matter if he was lying. It doesn't matter if he was telling the truth. Maybe he did work far away because you know what? All I am responsible for is what God asks me to do when I see the need. I obey, and then I trust God with the consequences. So my kids are in the car, roll down the window, don't care, give them money. If God tells me to give them a ride, I've given people a ride before, even with my kids in the car. Because guess what? I trust God. I obey what he asks me to do. I'm not stupid, but I know him. I've walked with him long enough that I know when he's asking me to do something and I do it and then I trust him with 
the consequences. God asks us to just obey and then trust. So if you see a person on the side of the road, what are you going to do? Just ask God. What do you want me to do, God? Sometimes God tells me no, so I don't give them money. And sometimes he says yes. You feel the need to take dinner to a lonely friend or relative, and you know when you get there, you're going to hear it. My grandma will tell me exactly how many days it has been since I have seen her, and she's 96 years old. I kid you not. It has been 30 days and 4 hours and 12 minutes since you have been. I'm like, I know, Grandma. I love you. I'm really, really sorry. So no matter what you're going to end up doing when you get there with dinner or you get there for dinner, you just go, and you trust God with the rest. You love them and you leave the rest to God. If you have a busy day and you don't feel like being bothered by answering the phone and it's your mama calling, come on, it's your mom. Answer the phone and give her a few undistracted minutes and then just trust God that you'll get the rest. Look at the moms in the room like, yes, call me. I pay for your college. Call me or answer me the phone when I call you, right? But you just trust God to help you accomplish the rest of what you need to do. So how do we help people who are overly needy? We give strategically, we serve wisely, and we trust completely. And I'm going to close with this, and I'll be quick, I promise. Um, I want to leave you with some very practical ways to point people to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, I have nothing to offer someone that was truly going to meet their needs. Only Jesus can do that. And if I'm completely honest, it's not just those people. There have been so many times where I have been the needy one. And most of the time it's in my marriage where I have placed expectations on my husband that he was never meant to fill. And I have unintentionally hurt him by doing that. And we can all do that. Because the truth is, I wanted him to fill something that only Jesus can fill in me. And so when it comes to us, we can meet our needs with God by that Grumlaw 7. But how is it that we come alongside someone else and help point them to Jesus? Three really practical ways. One, invite them to Grumlaw. Invite them to Grumlaw and ask them, say, come sit with me. I want you to do this. When someone comes to you and, you ha and they have a need, I want you to say, hey, you know what? I go to this church on Sunday and I find that they really help me in the areas where I have need. Will you come sit with me? Not, hey, you should show up to my church on Sunday, see you there. No, that's like giving strategically. That's like, hey, I can't fix your problems, but I'm going to walk alongside you. Will you come sit with me? And then also, too, you can... Invite them to read with you. Do a YouVersion study. YouVersion is a free app. It is probably one of the best Bible apps uh, out there. And they honestly have thousands and thousands and thousands of plans. I mean, you will find any need that you have or someone else has and just say, hey, you know what? Let's do this study together. And then you're getting your needs met by Jesus, and so are they. And lastly, you can pray for them. And I don't mean like, hey, God, just give my buddy some money so I don't have to give him gas tomorrow, right? Like, I'm talking sincere, persistent prayers. Like, you pray until that need is met. You pray until God shows you how to help them. You pray until they learn how to get the help themselves. Consistent, sincere prayers. Let's pray.